Grant us the willingness and the courage to reach for you, O God, and the compassion to turn to one another. Hold me up, God, that I might lift you up. Amen. So today is week two of our two-week sermon series on mental health and addiction, and we're talking about these things because we need to. There has been a veil of silence and stigma surrounding these topics for way too long. And as a result, there's this silence that has become a barrier between those who suffer from these conditions and the treatments that are available and are effective. So today's scripture story unfolds on the heels of the story that we talked about last week. Very little time has passed since Jesus crossed to the other side of the Lake of Galilee to go to a town called Gerasa, where among the Gentiles, he met a man who had been plagued by demons for years. After naming those demons and speaking publicly about what was one of the most stigmatized ailments of his time, Jesus was able to cast out those demons and free the man from the torment that he had suffered for so many years. So now, Jesus has crossed back over the lake, and news has spread like wildfire about his authoritative teachings, his ability to heal, and his authority over demons. So throngs of people now gather around him and follow wherever he goes. Hear now the gospel of Jesus Christ according to Mark. A swarm of people were following Jesus, crowding in on him. A woman was there who had been bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a lot under the care of many doctors and had spent everything she had without getting any better. In fact, she had gotten worse. Because she had heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothes. She was thinking, if I can just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Her bleeding stopped immediately, and she sensed in her body that her illness had been healed. At that very moment, Jesus recognized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and he said, who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, don't you see the crowd pressing against you? Yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus looked around carefully to see who had done it. The woman full of fear and trembling, came forward. Knowing what had happened to her, she fell, fell down in front of Jesus and told him the whole truth. He responded, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace, healed from this disease. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us watch this video together as we set in conversation the story of the hemorrhaging woman, and Julia Black's story. I've grown up going to church my whole life. My church family was very important. Ever since I can remember, I was a perfectionist in almost every way. I put a lot of emphasis on perfection, and it showed in my academics and my surroundings. I needed to be the best, and if, it was, if I wasn't, then I shamed myself. Whenever I didn't do as well as I wanted, um, I noticed there were times when I would get an upset, upset stomach or it would be hard to swallow and my throat would clog. 
I would recognize that I was nervous, but I had no idea whether it was normal or not. How was I to know everyone didn't have these same struggles? After a difficult junior year of high school, I decided to graduate high school a year early and move on. So at, sev at 17 years old, I packed up my bags and I went to a Christian university with an almost full ride scholarship. When I was in college, I wanted to focus on fitting in more than a 4.0 GPA. I met a girl in my hall who was searching for the same sense of belonging. I connected with her in a unique way because she too was suffering from her own shame and pain. She drank, so I started to drink. We surrounded ourselves with others who did drugs, so I, so I started doing drugs. I had finally found my cure. The drugs and alcohol took away the need to be perfect. They took away my anxiety and they made me feel like I no longer needed to go, go, go all the time. I felt like I belonged even when I was just by myself. In my mind, my solution was found and I was fixed. The hopelessness led to a series of consequences, all within a period of several years. I was taken out of college for drug use at 20, diagnosed with anxiety, bipolar, and PTSD at 20, kicked out of college for drug use at 21, in jail six times between the ages of 22 to 23, in rehab five times between the ages of 20 to 23. Both of the negative stigmas um, that surrounded all of mental illness and addiction, especially bipolar, I refused to accept treatment because of those. And in turn, I refused to get better. Mental illness and addiction are both progressive illnesses. Left untreated, they only get worse, never better. Oftentimes, the endings lead to jail, institutions, and or death. I've never met anyone who has a child or young adult dreamed of living with a mental illness. No one wants that life. No one asked for it. I had no more hope. I was alone. I had lost all of my valuable friends and family, and I didn't value myself. My untreated mental illness needed medication, and it sought whatever was in front of me, no, no matter how dangerous and toxic. My life didn't mean anything to me anymore. I was broken, and in my mind, I could not be fixed. June 6, 2015 is a day I will never forget for the rest of my life. I was invited by a friend I had met in jail to a big boat party on Lake Travis. It was a two-story party barge boat with unlimited alcohol and quite a few drugs. At 11.45 p.m., I fell off the top of the two-story party barge boat and landed on the boat propeller right when the engine started running again. It sliced completely through my left leg. My heart completely stopped twice, and I had to be started back up twice. Julia Black's heart stopped and had to be restarted twice. They thought for sure that she would die. To stabilize her, they put her in a drug-induced coma. I had the privilege of meeting Julia Black a few years ago, and so I got to hear her story firsthand and hear it in much more detail than you've seen it here. Over the course of the next two days after her accident, she received 11 pints of blood. Most adults only have 8 to 12 pints of blood, so that means they replaced pretty much every drop of blood in her body. She was bleeding to death. She was hemorrhaging. As you listen to her story, as you listen to her story of the experience of perfectionism and shaming, as you hear of her eventual diagnosis with bipolar disorder, anxiety, and PTSD, of her desire to fit in, 
all of which led eventually to her alcohol and drug use because she had refused the treatment that the doctors prescribed for her mental health conditions because of the negative social stigmas. All of these things led to her multiple arrests, led to multiple detox treatment centers, led to her expulsion from school. As you listen to this story, you realize Julia Black had been bleeding for a very long time. The life had been slowly pouring out of her as she walked, maybe stumbled a good bit of the time along a dangerous and harmful path, driven out into those lonely places by the demons we talked about last week. She was bleeding metaphorically long before that boating accident. It's just that nobody noticed. Or if they did notice, they didn't know how to talk about it. They didn't know how to help her. Whatever the case, they certainly weren't able to stop it. And y'all, you know what the first thing is that we're taught to do whenever someone's bleeding profusely? I know we have at least one doctor in the house. We're taught to stop the bleeding. You apply pressure, you make a tourniquet, something. You recognize that there is a crisis, that someone's life is at stake, and you respond, or at least you try to. You do what you can to stop the bleeding. Well, those with mental health issues and or substance use disorders, they are hemorrhaging. They're plagued by demons we can't name or are afraid to talk about because of the stigma or the shroud of myths that surround them. We named a few of those myths last week. If you were here, you remember myths like mental illness is um, a weakness of someone's character or that it doesn't really affect all that many people or it's not really all that serious, certainly doesn't cause death. Wrong. We learn that mental illness affects one in five people, irregardless of age. And addiction affects one in 12 people. And it is serious. And it can be fatal. We learned that in 2014, the number of deaths by suicide, which were largely attributed to mental health conditions, equaled deaths related to, to breast cancer, exceeded deaths related to prostate cancer, and tripled the number of deaths caused by homicide. This is not a marginal issue, but those who suffer from mental health and addiction often feel marginalized because of the unnecessary judgment and shame that results from all of these myths. Learning about mental illness and addiction, learning the facts, and learning how to detect the signs in ourselves and in those who are close to us is essential if we're ever going to hope to stop the bleeding. The woman in Mark's gospel had been bleeding for 12 years, slowly bleeding to death. And it was scandalous. I mean, it was not something that you would talk about in polite conversation. In fact, you didn't seek to be in the company of others if you were hemorrhaging because you were considered ritually unclean. And you could cause those around you to be ritually unclean if you got too close, much less touched them. This particular woman had sought help. She'd exhausted every resource she had on doctors under whose care scripture says she suffered a lot 
and didn't get any better. In fact, she got worse. Her illness had bankrupted her. By the time we meet her in this story, she was destitute. She had no money. She was a woman traveling alone, apparently, and she was bleeding. Any one of these factors in her time and place were definite strikes against her, but all of them combined together? She was at a huge disadvantage. Based on purity laws, because she was bleeding, she should have kept a really healthy distance from that crowd, and certainly from Jesus. She never should have touched him. But she was desperate. She'd lost everything. She'd hit bottom. She had nothing left to lose. And so she'd heard about this Jesus. She had heard about his unprecedented teachings, his wisdom, his authority over demons. She'd heard that he had healed others if she could just get close enough. Imagine her experience as she makes her way into and then through that crowd. I bet her head was covered. I bet her eyes were downcast. I imagine her trying to make herself small, invisible. I bet she tried not to touch other people until finally she was close enough to Jesus that she could reach out far enough that her hand barely brushed his cloak. And that was all it took. The bleeding stopped immediately, Scripture says. And after 12 years, she sensed in her body that she had been healed. I can only imagine the relief. I mean, I bet tears of joy began to stream down her face. She probably wanted to shout praises to God. But in the midst of that crowd, instead, she turns and attempts a stealthy escape. And then Jesus whirls around, who touched my cloak? She's not the only one that sensed something. Jesus felt the power pour out of him. Not me. Not me, the crowd cries. The disciples, they're just confused. Jesus, you're surrounded by people. Who hasn't touched you? I like to think that the woman could have escaped, but chooses instead to trust in Jesus' mercy, to fall at his feet. Scripture says she confessed the whole truth. I say mercy because, you know, we know Jesus. We know the end of the story. We know about redemption. We expect Jesus to be compassionate and kind, but this woman has no reason to expect that. Scripture says she was trembling in fear. As a first century Jewish man, if he strictly adheres to purity laws, he may not take very kindly to being intentionally touched by a hemorrhaging woman. Thanks be to God, he defies her worst fears and turns to her, and with an expression that lacks the condemnation and the distaste that she may have expected, without accusation, with deep compassion, Jesus claims her as an intimate relation. 
daughter, he calls her. Mine. He says, you belong to me. And then he praises her audacious faith and blesses her on her way. Go in peace, he says. After her accident on the boat, after her near-death experience, Julia is surrounded by people who love and support her. She is surrounded by people who are ready to name the demons that plague her, who are ready to do what they can to stop the bleeding. And Julia is finally ready to receive their love and support. Because y'all, remember what we talked about last week? It is not always easy. It's not always easy to help people who are suffering with mental health conditions or with substance abuse. It can be a struggle for family and friends sometimes. They want to help. But people with mental illness and drug addiction, they don't want help. They often resist it or even resent it. Because one of the cruelest realities of both of these illnesses is that the illness tells the person who is suffering that they're not sick. There's nothing wrong with you, the demons whisper. So family and friends many times helplessly watch as the one they love slowly bleeds to death, not knowing what to do. These diseases have the power to destroy not only the people who personally suffer from them, but those who gather around them, who love them. That's why we have to talk about them. That's why we have to normalize these conversations, name the demons, dismantle the myths that surround them. The more we talk about them, the greater chance we'll have to detect signs early, to access help faster. We'll have a much greater chance of stopping the bleeding. Julia had resisted help for a long time, thought she didn't need it. In fact, at one point, she thought she'd found her cure in alcohol and drugs. She finally felt normal in her skin. And even after multiple arrests and detox programs, her demons lied to her, told her she was in control until she found herself waking in the hospital, miraculously alive after nearly bleeding to death, surrounded by those who called her daughter. The first words that she spoke to her mother when she woke from her coma after being in that coma for a week were, I promise that I will stay sober and I will get help. She told me that when she said those words, the help she was referring to was in reference to her mental health. She was finally willing. She was willing to accept her diagnoses and she began to take the prescribed medications. She immersed herself in Alcoholics Anonymous, worked all 12 steps with a sponsor over the course of the next year. When I last saw Julia, she had been sober for three years and was newly married. That's been a couple of years ago. I hear that she now has a child. She got to keep her leg, by the way. After at least 14 surgeries, her leg's not perfect, but she can walk. And she's used her experience to help others by sharing her story, by talking about it, 
By naming the demons in 12-step programs and through various NAMI programs, Julia told me that every time she sees the scars on her legs, she's reminded what can happen when she cuts herself off from God, when she begins to seek unhealthy, destructive coping mechanisms. In many ways, she says, these scars are a gift that remind me of God's mercy. Y'all, we're Jesus' people. We claim Jesus as the one that we follow, the one that we trust. We claim Jesus as the one that we serve. And as Jesus' people, we do what Jesus does. We name the demons called mental illness and addiction. We talk about the most stigmatized illnesses of our time. And we allow ourselves to be touched by those who suffer. We claim them as our own, treat them as our own family, and we treat those who suffer with compassion, arming ourselves with the facts and the tools that we need to help them. We can all do that next Saturday here in this sanctuary Come spend an hour with us at 10 o'clock in the morning. A representative from NAMI will be here to lead a Let's Talk event where they will give us tools that will equip us to have these conversations with the people that we love. I encourage you to be there. We can be a resource for those who have depleted all their resources. And if you happen to be someone who suffers from mental health conditions, or from substance abuse, I hope and I pray that you will find the courage to reach out for the help that you need. And if you don't know where to turn, look around you. You're surrounded by a community of faith, a community that loves you and will embrace you. You can reach out to me. You can reach out to Diane, our youth minister, or to Megan, our children's director. We aren't mental health professionals, but we can certainly help connect you with those who are. More than anything, we can reach out with you for the healing grace of Jesus Christ. Together, we can find the courage to name the demons and the compassion to stop the bleeding. Thanks be to God. Amen.